Thank you, guys. Gosh, it's good to be home. It's so good to be back. Um, I want to say thank you guys for praying for Julian and I and the kids and Eli and Alicia um, last week while we were away. Um, we were doing a conference in Florida and it was just such an incredible um, time to be sent from you guys and to know that we were going backed by our, our people and our family. And uh, God did some really incredible things while we were away. Um, and we saw people just come into a revelation of who he is and what he has for them. Um, and it was just one of those moments in the conference, there was this incredible evening as Julian was ministering where the spirit of God fell. And people were just weeping under the conviction, not of their sin, but of their good, good father and the destiny that he has for them. And it was just this incredible waking up moment to how kind God is. And um, that's not just the fruit of our ministry. That's the fruit of our ministry as a family. You prayed for it and God was faithful to it. So thank you. Um, but I want to say there's no place like home. And it just feels so, as soon as we landed in Boston, we'd had a great time away. But I was like, it's so good to be home, and we miss you guys so much. So I am thrilled that I get to be here and preach this morning and be with family. Um, for those of you who are new joining us this morning, and there's actually quite a few of you, so if you are new, don't feel like you're the only one. There's lots of people here. Um, we've been doing a series through the book of Galatians, which is in the New Testament in the Bible, written by one of Jesus' followers, the Apostle Paul. And uh, we've had four weeks of teaching through this book so far, but it's totally fine. You can just jump in from where we're at this morning. I'm going to be reading Galatians 5. Uh, this is a chapter about freedom. And we're going to be thinking about the idea of freedom and just inviting the freedom of God to come and invade this space with us this morning. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Feel free to follow along. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. These are some pretty scary words. We're going to come to what on earth is going on in a moment. There will be no emasculating after this service. You'll be glad to know. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do, what, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. I just want to say as explanation at this point, when Paul is writing flesh, he doesn't mean your physical body is bad. He means the simple nature. That's what the Greek is talking about. The nature uh, of thinking and believing that is opposite to the ways of God. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the sinful nature are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Wow, what a chapter. Okay, let's just set the scene for a second before people start freaking out about circumcision and emasculation. Here we have a church, and you'll have heard me maybe say this before. Paul is writing to a group of churches, uh, the Galatians. Uh, This was a really diverse group of churches, and they were struggling with quite a few different issues. Uh, The subject of race was a big issue because for the people of God, the Jews from the Old Testament, there was a line uh, of belonging that was drawn where your race determined whether God belonged to you or not and whether you had access to God or not not. And here in these churches, there's a group of Jews who really believe that God belonged to them, who are having issues of racism against the Gentiles, the people who are not Jews, because now these Gentiles have become Christians, but there's this confusion in the church. How do you actually access God? And hang on, we used to think as Jews that we had the right of access to God. Now these Gentiles have become Christians, and we understand that's because they've put their faith in Jesus, but now they're refusing to act like Jews, and we thought the way to access God was important to be Jews, and a mark of being a Jew is circumcision. And so in this community, there's this conversation going on and this confusion, wait, don't Jews have greater access to God than others? And if you're going to say that you've become a Christian, you now have access to God, you better wear the marks on your body of what it means to belong to God, even if it's Jewish tradition, get circumcised. And so there's this conversation going on and there's fight going on within the community. Does circumcision, the mark of being a Jew, come into uh, the mark of being a Christian? And should it? And really, circumcision was a way of following the law, this list of rules that the Jews would follow that gave them the access rights to God. And so there's a deeper conversation, not just about circumcision, but about what do we do with a list of rules? Don't these list of rules now make us more acceptable to God? And the Jews are getting angry because the Gentiles are saying, no, the list of rules aren't applicable anymore. Jesus has done everything needed to make us acceptable to God. And the Jews are saying, that's outrageous. You're throwing away all our traditions. These laws are beautiful. How dare you? Whoa. 
And in comes Paul, and he says, hang on a second, time out, everybody. Whilst we're not rubbishing Jewish traditions, we're saying that Jesus came and his cross and resurrection has made access available for anybody and everybody. And we talked about it. We saw this earlier on in Galatians where Paul starts speaking an all or nothing gospel where it's Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus' cross and resurrection is completely sufficient to invite us into relationship with God. And there is nothing that you can do, no rule that you can keep that will make you more acceptable to God. And there is nothing you can do, no rule that you can break that will make you less acceptable to God because the way of acceptance is found in Jesus Christ in his life, his death and resurrection. There is no other way. That's what it means to be a Christian. And we might understand that today, but in that day, this was a huge struggle because all of their traditions, all of the mindset that told them how to access God was now being totally transformed and turned upside down because Jesus wasn't saying, no God, by following the rules. He was saying, no God, by following me. It's a completely different paradigm. And we might read these verses and think, well, obviously, circumcision isn't going to make us more acceptable to God. Well, obvious, yes, because circumcision isn't such a hot topic anymore. But there are lots of things, lots of ideas of morality that creep into the church where Christians start grading other people based on their morality levels, whatever it is, arbitrary really, but whatever it is that we feel is more judgment worthy than the things that we struggle with. Oh, I'm only gossiping over here, but he's looking at porn. He's definitely worse than me. And we get into this mindset, this hierarchy of morality where we think some people are worse than others or less acceptable or less worthy of belonging or acceptance by God based on their behavior. And we'd be lying if we said that idea doesn't creep into Christian thinking all of the time. And so whilst this is an ancient text for a community struggling with the idea of legalism, rule-keeping, and the idea of circumcision and what do we do with this, the reality is is very relevant to us as a community. What does it look like to be acceptable to God? What does it look like to belong to Jesus? How do you get there? And Paul is saying, guys, there's warfare going on around your freedom. There's something very tangible, this wrestle going on for your freedom. And really, we'll see that this chapter is in two halves. And the first half is freedom is worth fighting for. Freedom is worth defending at all costs. Freedom is worth protecting. And in fact, you and I have a mandate to protect it. And sometimes we act like freedom is just... It's just in the atmosphere around us. We're Christians, so we've been made free. We don't really think about what that means, but we act like then the rest of our lives is happening to us. And Paul is saying, hey, wake up. You are in a fight, and you better get ready to fight for your freedom. Something that has been won, you are going to have to protect with everything you've got. And there's two contexts of battle that he raises for us that we'll look at. And then the second half of the chapter is, okay, you are ready to protect at all costs. Understand now whilst you're fighting what it looks like to live 
in freedom. Because there's a very tangible reality that we enter into as we allow the Spirit of God to rest on us, to live in us, and to flow through us that allows us to enter into freedom. But the first thing I really want to talk about is, is this idea of freedom. Not many people would understand that God is all for freedom. In fact, many outsiders to the church, and sometimes rightfully so because of how the church has represented what it means to be a Christian, would think that Christianity is not so much about freedom, but rather about slavery. It's about becoming uh, bound to God somehow, living a life of servitude as a negative thing. And so freedom isn't something necessarily that many people outside of the church would equate to being inside the church. But it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Freedom is God's idea. Freedom is not a worldly idea. Freedom was God's design. We live in a nation that was founded on this idea of freedom. People literally gave their lives for this idea of freedom. And the reality is a man... um, A man-made idea falls short of the God-given desire of freedom. But still, that idea is still there in the hearts of humanity. Why? Because it's there by God's design. You were made to be free. Wars are fought over this idea, tragically falling short, but still the hearts of humans are saying we were made to be free. You will not keep us in oppression or bondage. Why? Not because it's a man-made idea, but because it's by God's design that you and I would live in complete freedom. Freedom is an idea that is so integral to the design of God that Paul says this funny statement, it's for freedom that you were made free. It feels like a weird statement to make. It's twice stating the obvious, but he's saying it because he's saying it wasn't for morality that Jesus came and died for you. It wasn't for servitude that Jesus came and died for you. It was for freedom. The very idea of freedom is godly. And that's why Jesus came and died for you and rose from the grave so that you would now be made free. Free from what? Well, free from the law. Free from the bondage to a list of rules. Free from needing to make sure that you are perfect in order to be acceptable. But more than that, free from the war within. Free from our own sinful desires that promise so much and yet deliver the exact opposite. Even the man version of freedom that says, I'll give you this if you just ignore all boundaries. And then we find ourselves somehow more bound than we started to begin with. How does that happen? Well, Paul is saying, you were designed for freedom. Now understand what freedom looks like. And so I want to say to you, table family, you were made for freedom. And there's a war on to defend that freedom. Not to defend it from someone out there, but to defend it in our own hearts and minds. Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Do you know there's so much power in what you think and how you think? How you think will determine the course of your life, even if God has made everything possible for you, because unless you believe it, you cannot walk in it. 
And there's this beautiful moment here where Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Understand this, that this is past tense. Your freedom has been achieved. Christ has set us free based on what God has already done. Stand firm, therefore. This idea of taking action off the platform of what he's already done repeats throughout this chapter three times. And I'll highlight it when we get to each place. But it's a very biblical idea. This is what Christianity looks like all through our lives. We act from the foundation of how he's already acted. That's what it means to be a Christian because God consistently initiates. We respond in love to his love. Love is his idea. In fact, love is who he is. And we come and respond to who he is. Nothing in Christianity is us initiated. All of the goodness that we stand in is because he started it and we get to walk in it. And so here we are. Guys, freedom has been won for you. Now stand firm in it. Whenever you see the word stand firm written by the Apostle Paul, he's saying there's a battle on. Because that's how he refers to battle in the Christian life. Stand firm, stand firm. Read Ephesians 6. It's the chapter on battle in the Bible written by Paul and his whole concept of warfare is standing firm. So we know as soon as he says, stand firm, therefore he's saying, guys, there's a battle on, stand up and fight. Fight for this. And I love it because he uses very active, powerful words. Don't submit. You get to choose that. What you submit to is an area of warfare. Careful what you submit to. Do not submit to a yoke of slavery. I tell you, if you accept circumcision, none of these things are passive. All of these things are choices. He's saying there is warfare around your choices. Wake up to the power of your choices. I want to tell you, you're in a fight, and number one, you're not powerless. You get to choose what you engage in. You get to choose what becomes true of your life. You get to choose what you believe and what you're going to stand for. Your life is not happening to you. Each of us get to make choices, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, because freedom has been won for us, so we are no longer powerless. We are invited into choice in the midst of the warfare. And then he, he talks about what the warfare is about initially. And it's about this thing of the law. See, for the Christian, the freedom that's been won for us, there will be consistently the temptation to give that freedom up to justify ourselves through a list of rules consistently. And often as Christians, we think it's not that big a deal. It's probably a really good idea, in fact, for me to focus on this list of rules so that I can be a moral Christian, so that I can modify my behavior, so that I'll be more acceptable to God and to others in my church community. That kind of thinking puts chains on you as soon as you get into that thinking. There is no way of behaving that can ever make you more acceptable. And there's this tiny thought that can creep into us. Jesus plus something will make me more acceptable. Jesus plus nothing. We've got to keep going there. We've got to fight. It is a fight. In our minds, there will always be this thought, shall I add this in? No, don't add anything to the recipe of the grace of God. The recipe is perfect. As soon as you touch it, you ruin it. I'm not the best cook. 
I'm going to just admit this. My husband does the cooking in our home. In fact, if you come and you, you're invited to our house and you have me cooking for you, sorry, you've got the, the raw end there because he's definitely better than me. And the reason, well, one of the reasons, there are many, one of the reasons why I'm not the best cook is because I add to the recipe often. It's like, <laughs> Julian's often like, don't mess with it. And I'm like, I think it needs a little bit more of this. And the problem is, as soon as I add a little bit more of this, I can't go back and now I've ruined it. And I'm like, man, why did I add that heap full of salt? Now this whole thing is too salty. And it's because I'm constantly messing with the recipe. You and I in Christianity are constantly tempted to do that. Don't. It's an area of warfare. And we might think it's just us adding our ideas, or we might think we're just adding to morality. What you're doing is you're falling to the lie that is very, very powerful in warfare. It's nothing short of a battle for your belief system. The enemy loves you to think that you've got to do certain things to make you more acceptable. Do you know why he loves to do that? Not only will it bring you into bondage because you're trying to do in your own strength something that is impossible for you to achieve. But he also loves it because it brings great division. Because soon as we think we're achieving more than someone else, we start looking down on other Christians because you're not doing nearly as much as I am. And we start putting our own value and therefore others' value, not in who Christ has said they are and what Christ has achieved for them, but we start putting it in what we think their morality adds up to. It's poison. Don't go there. And so Paul says to them, listen, you're not powerless. These are active words. This is an area of warfare. Wake up and understand this. Because if you want to follow one law, which is circumcision, then you're going to have to follow all of them to justify yourself through that. And you can't, which means you're dead in the water. Don't do it. And then I love it because he says, you were running well. So this is a community that had understood grace. This is a community that had understood the sufficiency of all that Christ has done for them. And now they've fallen at this hurdle, this temptation to add in a little bit of rule keeping to everything else that they believe. Often as Christians, when we think about running well, we think about morality. If someone said to you, oh, that Christian is really running well, Probably, my guess is, or maybe it's just me, but probably my guess is our thoughts go to all the things they're doing well. Running well, we equate to acting good. That's what we think in Christianity. But it can't possibly mean that because he's talking about belief systems. Running well from a Bible perspective has got nothing to do with how you're acting. It's got everything to do with how much you believe the cross and resurrection is a complete formula. That's what it means to run well. To run well isn't that you achieved the peak of morality. To run well means that you genuinely believe that what Jesus has done is totally complete. There is nothing that you can or should or ought to add to what he's done. It's a belief system. It's a way of understanding. It's a thought pattern of saying Jesus is enough and I don't need to add to the recipe. That's what it means to run well in the Bible. Let's be a people who run well. 
Not because we're uh, checking off our list all the amazing things of morality so that we at the table look down on everyone else, both in other churches and outside of church, because we are so morally superior. No, let us run well because we understand it's got nothing to do with me. It is all Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection that has got me here and will get you there. It's got nothing to do with my performance. It's got nothing to do with your performance. So he uses this idea of running well. And I want us to use the idea of running well as a community. And then he says, a little bit later in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's talking about yeast. All you need is a tiny little bit of yeast. All you need is the tiniest bit of thought, and it ruins everything. Paul makes this such an important area of warfare. I want us to understand that even the tiniest thought of me doing something will achieve more, will make me more acceptable, will make me better, even the tiniest thought of that. We've got to pounce on that thing, we've got to kill that thing. No one in warfare, no one in combat says, oh, it's only a tiny grenade. We've got to think about our thoughts in exactly the same way. We've got to recognize that the tiny little thoughts have the power to do so much damage. We've got to jump on those things. There's a verse in the Song of Songs that talks about it's the little foxes that, that destroy the vineyard. Catch the little foxes of your thinking. You are so powerful as a Christian because you are now equipped with all you need to understand the freedom that's been won so that you can start filtering out the lies in your own brain. And we want to be a community that does this for each other. Julian does this for me often. He'll say, you need to watch your negative self-talk. And it's really helpful because we start saying things that are lies. And if no one else catches us on them, we'll start believing those lies as if they're truth. So if we start saying things like, oh, I didn't pray enough last week. God must be really disappointed. If you hear anyone say that, you've got to jump on that thing. It's a grenade and it's about to go off and we're in the middle of a battle. Get rid of that grenade. I'm not saying praying isn't good. It is because you get to talk to the one who made you and knows you the best and loves you the most. But gosh, if we're doing it because we think that it makes us better as Christians, we've got such a big problem get rid of that grenade before it destroys the whole thing. We've got to understand the stakes that are involved here. So here we are in the warfare, and then he keeps going. And he starts saying, look, we, I'm talking about what your freedom looks like, but I want to say to you that there's another element of warfare, if you're not careful, which is saying, now that I'm free, I get to do whatever I like. This is another aspect of warfare. There's two areas here. You're going to have to fight the temptation to legalism. You're going to have to fight the temptation to selfishness. Both things will lead you into bondage. And he's dealt with legalism, and then he's aware this community are now going to go, okay, let's throw off everything, and I'm entitled to everything because I'm free. Watch out coming through. Don't you know who I think I am? And he's saying, before you go there, I want to help you. There's two things that will enslave you again. One is legalism, one is selfishness. 
You go down that thing and it will promise you freedom, but it will enslave you in the process. It's like a glutton who says they are free to eat. But soon enough, they're not free. They're under compulsion. Are they exercising freedom? Probably not. Because suddenly they've got into such an entrenched way of being that they cannot stop what they do. It's why in the book of Corinthians, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. Because selfishness tells you, you can do whatever you like, you're free. What it doesn't say to you is the fine print, but if you do whatever you like, you will be mastered by it, and then you will do nothing that you like. You've got to read the fine print. You've got to read the fine print. The fine print of selfishness is death and slavery. Don't go there. Which is why it's so important to remain in community with the people of God. Because the thing is, Christianity that is not rooted in community will by nature lead you down the bondage of selfishness because you don't have to answer to anybody about what you do. I left that church because I didn't like the stuff that they said, and it, it felt like I didn't really click with people. I felt misunderstood so often. I'm easily offended, so I don't like when people offend me. Julian often says, no one gives offense. Offense is taken. So if you're someone who's easily offended, that's probably something that you need to deal with with God, not something you need to point the finger at other people. But anyway, we hear this all the time. There's loads of people leading, leaving churches because it's really difficult to be in community because community is never perfect. You know what? That's partly the point because God wants us to understand that walking in love is more important than walking in being right. And unless we as Christians are willing to lay down our rights in order to love, we will become bound to selfishness. We've got to be willing to say, I love you enough to lay down my rights. That's what he starts saying here. You were called to freedom. Again, he's saying it. Guys, this is what God has done. And you don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That word opportunity is a military term that is used to say as a base of operations. So essentially he's saying, don't use your freedom, your understanding of what it means to be free as this base of operations for your sinful nature to wage all out attack on you because you didn't read the fine print. (laughs) Read the fine print. Through love, serve one another. Freedom looks like something. It looks like serving one another in love. There is no way of expressing authentic freedom outside of community because if you have no one to serve in love, you will never know what authentic freedom looks like. That's why it's so important for us to be in community. That's why it's so important for us to, uh, to be sharpened by one another and sanded down by one another. Because in all of those moments, we have the power to choose to serve in love, even if we're offended in the moment. That's what real freedom looks like. There's two areas of battle we need to understand. Law and selfishness. Read the fine print, don't fall to either, but jump on that grenade and throw it out before it destroys the whole thing. So you got to fight for something. But the second half is you got to live in something. See, the Bible clearly tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is 
freedom, right. So there is no freedom in the absence of the presence of the Spirit. To walk in freedom, there's something that has been achieved by God, but there's something that is sustained by God. You cannot be truly walking in freedom unless you allow the sustaining presence of God. It's like going on an airplane, relying on that airplane for takeoff, and then saying, thanks very much, now that I'm flying, I'll hop out of this airplane. See how quickly gravity will bring you down to earth. (laughs) There's something that is both initiated and sustained by that airplane, and it's the same in the spirit. There's something of freedom that is initiated by God and sustained, hence live in freedom. Live in the spirit. Those things are the same. Living in the spirit and living in freedom are identical. You live in the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Therefore, inevitably, you will live free. And I love this because Paul starts this whole section by saying, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This community is genuinely asking a question, which is how then do we live holy? We know that God doesn't love sin. Okay, Paul, we get it. You're saying rule keeping isn't the way forward. You're saying we don't need to follow the rules to be acceptable to God. But you're also saying lay down your rights and love and serve one another. And presumably God wants to reflect his, us to reflect his righteousness. How do we do it then? Because we thought it was a list of rules would help us keep us in line. And you're saying the list of rules will get us bound. So how then do we follow the rules without being bound? This is so confusing. And he says, this is a great question. It is important for the people of God to reflect his righteousness, not because it's about rule keeping, but it's because it means being made whole. See, that's the issue with sin. It's not that it's a right-wrong paradigm. It's a brokenness-wholeness paradigm. That's why God hates sin, because he doesn't want you to be broken. He wants you to live in the fullness of life. So how do you do it then, Paul? Give us the answer then, Paul. He says, well, it's really easy. Walk by the Spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the simple nature. There's one way to overcome sin individually as a community. It's not by trying harder to follow the rules. It's by allowing the Spirit of God to overwhelm us, live in us, and bear the fruit that only the Spirit can bear. If you're struggling with sin cycles in your life, I want to tell you, you trying to do better won't work. I can say that from personal experience. It won't work. You might manage for a temporary period of time to modify your behavior enough to think that you've got over the problem. But soon, sooner or later, what will happen is your heart's desire will overwhelm your managing self-control and you'll fall into the same sins again and again. And that's how sin cycles work. We try harder, we do a little better, we tell someone in our accountability partnership about the things that we've done before that we feel terrible about. Won't you make me feel ashamed enough to stop me from doing that again? Inevitably, after a period of time, whether it's weeks or days or months, whatever it is, we'll fall again, we feel terrible again, then we say to our accountability partner, please pray for me again, because I'm a terrible human being, and we go round and round and round in circles and wonder why we're never living in the freedom that's promised in Galatians 5. It's because we're going about it the wrong way. If you, by your perseverance, could achieve righteousness, the cross would never have been necessary. You, by your efforts, cannot achieve righteousness, but it's by the Spirit of God. 
The way to overcome sin isn't to try harder. The way to overcome sin is to stop, sit down and say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. And you know, we sang earlier and it's a song I absolutely love. I want more of you, Lord. And there's, of course, a place to sing that that's correct in lots of ways. But do you know what? The Spirit of God has been poured out on us without measure. So it's more correct to sing, have more of me, Lord. Because we're the ones withholding, not him. We're the ones saying, I like you to have this part of my life, but this part of life, I don't want you to mess around with. But rather, there's this beautiful quote by a hero of mine called William Booth, who started the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army might look very different today, but when it was started, it was the most radical expression of the gospel, of loving the poor, of seeing thousands come to Jesus. It was an, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal movement and in many places still is. And William Booth, when he was 15, is known to have been said, known to have said, Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, have all there is of William Booth. And when I read that quote, when I was in my teenage years, I remember praying that often and I still often do. Holy Spirit, have all there is of Katia Adams because if the Holy Spirit has all there is of me, if there's no part of my life that I hold back from him, if there's no part of my thinking of what's appropriate or what I can handle that I keep back from him, then imagine what he can do with a life laid down for him. I want to encourage you, that's what we're going after as a community. Holy Spirit, have all there is of the table. Holy Spirit, have all there is of each and every one of us. Because the call of the gospel is not to do the moral thing. The call of the gospel is to transform the world with impossibilities. And we can only do that when the Spirit is having his way with us. Holy Spirit, come and have all there is of Katya Adams. Why don't you just pray that for a second over yourself? Holy Spirit, come and have all there is of me. Spirit of God, we don't want to hold anything back. We don't want to say we want to do it in our own strength. We understand the verse is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. If you've got hopes and dreams for your own life and for the city and for the nations, gosh, I want to tell you, you can't achieve all of them by your power, by your might, by your intellect, by what you think you bring to the table. It is only possible through the power of the Spirit. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And freedom is by design the intention of God for mankind. And when the spirit comes, these beautiful fruits start to pop up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul is saying, you want to focus on rules, you're going skin deep, but allow the Spirit to come, and from the deepest part of you, fruit will grow that overwhelms any list of rules. It overrides it, it surpasses it, it goes so much further, because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, they go way beyond what any list of rules could. And that's the promise of the Spirit's supernatural work in you. And I want to say, as Christians, sometimes we have platformed the gifts of the Spirit that you find in 1 Corinthians 12. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of words of knowledge, gifts of healing, of miracles, of teaching. Those things are wonderful and good. But we've, what we've often neglected is the fruit of the Spirit, which is just as miraculous, just as supernatural as the gifts. 
And we don't want to go after in this community the gifts of the Spirit without living the fruit of the Spirit, understanding that both are supernatural activities of the Spirit within us. We want to celebrate people who walk in love, people who have outrageous joy, people who bring the atmosphere of peace into the community because we understand that no human being could do that. It's by the work of the Spirit in their lives that that fruit is growing. And we want to pursue the fruit in the same way that we pursue the gifts. If only as Christians we would ask often for the, for the fruit of patience in the way that we ask for the gift of prophecy. I feel so convicted of this in my home life. Not convicted in a bad, horrible way, convicted in that what is on offer by the Spirit to me. He's saying to me, Katya, you need kindness with your kids. You need patience with your kids. I know how you can get that. Spend more time with me. It's not by trying harder. It's not by biting your tongue more. It's by allowing me to have more of you. You will grow that fruit. It is inevitable. I want to tell you in your life, you need love, joy, peace, patience. You need all of them. We need all of them. Let's spend time with the Spirit of God. Let's just stand together for a moment. I have no idea if I covered everything I wanted to, but it doesn't matter. (sighs) At a funny moment just yesterday, Ash and I were at the park with our kids And my boy, Ezekiel, who's five, was coaching his sister, Evangeline, who's three, to jump off the monkey bars. And Evangeline was terrified. What's hilarious about this, slightly ironic, is that Zeke has no idea what the monkey bars are for, and so he can't actually do them. But anyway, he thought (laughs) jumping off was the point. So he suddenly turns around to Eva, and as a good pastor's kid, he says to her, don't you have the spirit of the Lord inside of you? You have the power to do this. And she jumps off and she does it. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And I thought, oh my gosh, this kid. And I've been laughing about it ever since. And I just felt in worship time, the Holy Spirit says to me, you don't understand what that moment meant. Zeke actually understands what the spirit of the Lord is for. It's not for your moment of ministry or for the moment where we want the power, where we want to showcase just how big God is when we're praying for the sick, although all of those moments are wonderful and we want the spirit to flow, but the spirit of the Lord inside of you is for every single boring moment of your life for you and I to understand there is power that resides in us that is otherworldly because it belongs to God, but he has put it in me by his spirit so that everything that I do, that solution at work that I'm desperate to find, this financial issue that I is threatening to swallow me up, this housing problem that I don't know what to do with, this college problem that I've been looking at this essay and thinking, I don't have the brains for this. How on earth can I do this? This musical note issue that I keep slipping every time I play this thing. Why can't I do it? In all of those moments, don't you know you have the spirit of the Lord inside of you? Because he cares about all of those moments as much as he does about the moment when you preach and the moment when you see the miracles and the moment where the sick gets healed. Because every part of your life was designed to be free by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. 
I want to invite all of us to just meet with the Spirit of the Lord for a moment. We're going to land soon, but I feel like God is in this room. Why don't we just all close our eyes for a second? Some of you, I've been speaking and you're thinking, I don't, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian and I don't even know what I've walked into, but this is very strange. That's okay. That's totally fine. (laughs) Being a Christian really is just saying, I think God has the answers that I don't, and I'm tired of trying to come up with my answers. They don't work. That's really what it means to be a Christian. It means to say, Jesus, you came, you lived. Jesus, God, Jesus came. He lived, he died, he defeated even death by rising from the dead. He's alive today. All of that is to allow me to lean on him for everything rather than leaning on myself. And if that's you today and you don't feel like you've ever done that, you don't feel like you've ever said to God, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to come into the chaos of the room and say God's in charge. Then this is a really good moment to do that. And it doesn't need to be anything crazy. You can just say, God, have all there is of me come into the chaos of my room and be in charge. Help me, help me live in loving you, in knowing you. And this is a good moment for you to do that. But for anyone who is a Christian here, I wanna pray the spirit of the Lord. (laughs) Spirit of the Lord to rest on us, to overwhelm us, to fill us to overflowing in the name of Jesus. (laughs) I invite you, spirit of the living God, (laughs) to come and fill and overflow in us and through us today. Not only so that we would work in supernatural gifts, speaking in tongues and knowing the hearts of men and women and seeing healing, but so that we would grow the fruit of the Spirit, so that we would walk in genuine freedom, so that we would understand that we don't have to follow the rules or give in to selfishness, but we would walk in the freedom and living by the Spirit. And so I pray in this community, the liberty of the Spirit of the Lord amongst us. Hey, sometimes when God's in the room, things happen to our bodies and I say crazy things like, hey, and it's not because um, of any other reason than God is more powerful than I can contain. And that's okay. So as the spirit of God comes and rests on us, you might find that people do strange things, but you can always ask questions about them to anyone. Because God is good and he is kind, but he is more powerful than we can contain sometimes. But if you want more of the Spirit, I just want to invite you to open up your hands (laughs) and recognize that the Holy Spirit promises that He will pour out on those who ask and recognize that He is not withholding Himself, but He's inviting rather that we don't withhold ourselves. And it's a great prayer to pray like we did before. Come and have all there is of me. Holy Spirit, come fill me afresh. And I want to say to you, I can't invite him into your heart. You are much better at doing that because you're a powerful person. And so feel free to invite the Spirit of God to fill you. And the Bible says that he comes into all Christians. You cannot be a Christian but by the Spirit of God. But what he's initiated in you, he wants to sustain in you. So you get to ask him, fill me afresh today. Fill me afresh today. And I speak love and joy and peace 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in each and every one of us. Come and grow supernatural fruit in us as a people, I pray, Holy Spirit. Come and grow supernatural fruit in me, I pray, Holy Spirit. Hey! He's sparking joy. (laughs) He is sparking deep peace. I feel many of us have been struggling with the anxiety of the season and in this place, peace from the Spirit is invading in this moment. Hey! He wants you to live free from anxiety. Hey! Some of us have been struggling in sin cycles. His self-control is moving in. And his sense of freedom to not be mastered by anything is invading the space of your heart. Hey. Patience. Patience for the season. Patience to endure. Patience to persevere is interrupting our thought patterns even now. Kisklin Kekia began to speak about peace. I feel like there is a lady here today who, over the last particular month, you have had numerous moments of being overwhelmed by like an anxiety attack almost. And you've actually not told anyone about it but you've been overwhelmed by anxiety. Even right now, God has released peace on you. I feel like God wants to encourage you that you're going to begin to find freedom even right now. And then um, I feel like there there are a number of you, and we're going to pray for this, who you keep replaying moments of sin from your past that you don't seem to be able to get free from the shame and the guilt of that. The thing about freedom is that there's no shame. When you're truly free, you don't live under shame. And shame can either be something that comes upon you or something that you've done that has brought a sense of guilt and a sense of feeling dirty, a sense of feeling unworthy. And so if that's you, just as you got your eyes closed, I believe God wants to remove some shame from people right now. I just break shame. I break shame right now in Jesus' name. I release your goodness right now in Jesus' name. And and then the the last thing I feel, I feel like there's a guy here. You've been living with such a sense of high levels of performance. um, And the result is being actually that any moment of failure has brought a sense of deep, deep, um, like depression and fear associated with it. In fact, I see like standing before like a father or an authority figure thinking, I can't show them the result of my report card. I can't show them the result of my job. I can't show them the result of whatever it is that you've had to go through because of the performance. I feel like God's breaking performance of people right now. Um, I feel like one particular person, literally, you, you are so afraid because of this last season of failure and disappointment that you've perceived as failure and disappointment 
particularly because of a family situation, God is bringing freedom to you right now. So, Father, we release that right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Just right now, he's resting on many of you. And we release joy for this season. Joy for this season. Before the meeting started, Ash felt like God was going to be depositing hope. And I know that peace and hope often go hand in hand. And in this moment, the spirit, the spirit of hope is here. And he wants to allow hope to rise up again. And so if this is you and you've just felt so hopeless about what's coming, so hopeless for your own future, in this moment, the spirit of God is here to deposit hope in you because we have a good father and so we can trust him to lead us. And so in the name of Jesus, I speak against all hopelessness, any lies of hopelessness. And we say you have no authority to speak to us hopelessness because we are a people of hope because we have a Father who is good and knows how to take care of his children. And so I speak that deposit of hope deep into our hearts that have been struggling with this sense of hopelessness and despair for the season to come. And there's one more thing that I wanted to pray for. I want to pray for a real sense of unity in community. The enemy has lied to many of us that the answer to the problem in the church is just to become more self-centered and to tap out whenever you're not pleased. It's because he loves division. And some of you will know that if that's something that you've been doing, it's a moment of repentance. I'm not saying that things haven't been done to you. I'm not saying that things haven't been bad. I'm just saying nobody's perfect and you get to choose to pick up a fence or let it alone. And so you might just need to do some business with God. God, I I keep tapping out rather than laying my life down in love. But I want to pray, spirit of unity, because that's who you are, Holy Spirit. (laughs) That you would just knit our hearts together as a community. That you would give us such a beautiful sense of serving one another in love. Following the model of Jesus. Following the life that we participate in, in Christ. Let us be a community that understands what it means to stand alongside each other, even through disagreement and moments where we can pick up a fence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.